This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery, like McKenna, brings a top-tier lineup. With Leaf Davis-esque delivery right to your door, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only by app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Blue Monday podcast. We're on close season again, so I'm not going to go over the normal intro, but this is normally a three times weekly audio show and YouTube show. Um, But you'll probably be noticing a new face on this side. This is the first of four season reviews. We were going to get together. Um, but it didn't happen over half term. But that's quite good, though, because we would have all just talked over each other. Anyway, so um, please welcome for his debut on the podcast. You've probably seen him on um, or heard him on the Naked Football Show. Welcome, Mr. Joe Fares. Joe, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, Ben. Is that a 92, 93? Yeah, 92 to 94, isn't it? 92 to 94. You didn't, you didn't think of fastening the... No, no, no. They, they sort of distract my son, though, these ones now. So I'm, I'm lucky <laughs> not to be strangled by it. Try and strangle. So, Joe, can you just introduce yourself a bit to the viewers um, and the listeners? What's your What's your vintage? When did you start supporting? Um, and can you tell us a bit about your football manager stuff and your youth team kind of links and whatnot? Yeah, well, um, I started going in the title-winning 91-92 season, but I was only six at the time, so I don't have that many memories of that season. And then I've basically had a season ticket since then, so sort of 25 years, 26 years now. Um, I've seen um, the, the first few years were interesting. We used to have titles, relegation staying up, playoffs every season, and then loads of goals. The last 15 <laughs> haven't been haven't been as good. Um, for the last five or six years, I've run the Academy Twitter feed, which has involved going over to watch a youth team a lot, the under-23s, and keeping stats on that. And then from that, also do the football manager research for Richard Town. So if there's any any issues with the stats or anything on that, I'm the, I'm the guy that has got it wrong, effectively. What's your strike rate like on, on football manager? Have you done any, any Mark Kerrs? Um, no, there's... There's a lot of just explain. Sorry, Joe. Explain what a, explain what a Mark Kerr is to the uninitiated. Basically, you find a player who's 18. You say they're going to be the best player in the world <laughs> every time. So every time someone plays that game, he is your first signing that you do for 60 grand. Uh, yeah, it's it's not quite as easy to do that these days because there's everyone knows everything these days. So if I'm yeah. someone like Andre Dezel, I can mark high, and everyone knows he's going to be a good player and. It doesn't raise any questions. But if I were to do it for someone that isn't in an England youth squad or isn't playing two or three years above themselves, it will be questioned as to why this guy that no one in the sort of community has heard of is the next Neymar. Yeah, right. No, there have been there have been a few fun ones, and I always remember um, there was someone massively. I think no, it was it wasn't Kieran Dyer. I always remember on one of the games there was someone like massively out of position. You could sign you could sign him from Ipswich, but play him in complete. I can't remember who it was, but we're going back like Championship manager to. Uh, I had to stop playing um, football manager just purely because it took up too many hours of my life. Um, just quickly before we start, the plan today is we're dividing these. Um, this is the season review that we've done as a roundtable the last couple of years. Um, we're dividing it into four. So Joe and I today are going to be going over, there's pretty much 50 games. So we're going to be going over the first 12 um, and then 
I think it's then it's Mikey, then it's Statman, and then it's Dave for the glorious um, dethroning of um, Queen Cersei. Yeah. Um, but just Joe, just quickly, because um, you've been a big Jack Ross proponent on Twitter, just give me quick thoughts on um, the appointment of Paul Hurst before we start. Yeah, I'm really pleased with Paul Hurst. I, I, I like the sound of Jack Ross more. I, I thought he was going to be something different where I think Hurst is a safer choice, but it's very difficult to argue with Hurst's record. Like I say, he's managed in every league, sort of the one below the Conference North, the Conference North, the Conference, League Two, League One, and he's had success in all those leagues and he, he deserves the chance he's got. And it's nice to see sort of in the national media, we were getting a lot of stick the Ipswich fans for hounding out McCarthy and be careful what you wish for and you can't expect sort of anyone to do a job on this on the budgets that are set and he's done a brilliant job but it's, it's nice to now see the national media saying it's good Ipswich are giving a young media, young manager a, a sort of chance in the game a chance to step up giving someone who's deserved a chance their shot so it's nice to have a change in narrative sort of at the clubs because we were sort of getting a bit of brunt of some stick there and I, th- I think he, he deserves this shot and everything I've seen about him is positive his sort of signings, the the way he plays, it, it isn't going to be total revolution for Mick McCarthy. But maybe the fact we finished 12th last year with all the injuries and the squad and the fans and club not particularly united, it's probably a good thing that we've got a manager that can come in and pick up the squad he's got here and try and just evolve the play. And I was discussing this with Dave the other day. Apart from Nuno Jukanovic and Dean Smith, who else plays total no. football in the championship anyway and and I think Dean Smith at Brentford Brentford play total football I think you could put anyone in charge there and, and they yeah. have a they're told how they have to play effectively so it's only really Jukanovic that has come in and really insisted on that style of play where Nuno's coming into Wolves and been given sort of Champions League calibre players so yeah. they should be able to play good football and, and they did but. absolutely um, right Let's get into this. So we, we'll do a little bit of the preamble just to set up the context. So let me take you back to Nottingham Forest away. Last game of the 16-17 season. Um, so the context is basically everyone wants the season to end. Forest could have scored about five goals in the first five minutes. Um, we go down three... Did we go 3-0 or 3-1? 3-0 it was in the end, yeah. 3-0 in the end. And everyone packs up for the summer. Away we go. A thoroughly depressing season. The lowest um, under... I'm going to say... I'm going to use his name today because we're going back We're going back into the past. So it doesn't feel like... Um, so the lowest finish under um, McCarthy's uh, watch. 16th place. Um, thoroughly depressing. Murphy goes in August... No one really comes in. We're saved from relegation, essentially, by Tom Lawrence and Bielkowski. So we go into the summer, and the conversations we're having on the podcast are, well, we don't think anyone's going to come in. Do you know what? You know, we, don't, we no. can't, can't see the owner putting his hand in his pocket. And so before the season starts, we have Joe Garner, Emmy Hughes, Tom Adiemi. And I won't pretend I knew anything about Burson Selina before he came. So, in your mind, before they started, obviously there's one more signing to come, but we'll come to we'll come to him after the Birmingham um, after the Birmingham game. Um, what was your feeling on the signings, and did you feel a bit of a a bit of a change there? Because that's more backing than there's been in a while. Yeah, and over the last few seasons, it didn't seem like we'd signed many first-team players. We'd in, in Mick's first season, we at the end of it, we brought in David McGoldrick, Daryl Murphy, Cole Skews, all, all these players you expected to come straight in and start. After that, really, it's only really Bielkowski and then that came in as a, as a nailed-on starter. But he was he was fighting for his place with Gherkin also, and then it was sort of the signings of Ward and Webster, which were seen as first-team players, but also ones for the future. Down the line, time, yeah. We went out and we signed Joe Garner, who is sort of a nailed-on starter. Emma Hughes, who, if fit, is going to be a nailed-on starter. Tom Amy, who seemed to be a nailed-on starter. And then, obviously, the lone players, Selena and Dominic Iorfa, who were good-caliber players. So it really did seem like Mick was being backed, maybe not with fees as much, when you sort of look down the line to see how much they actually were, but he'd been backed with some probably top-end earners in the squad. Why did the narrative change as Mick was leaving... Why did it go from 
these were these cost this much to all of a sudden him saying oh i didn't pay anything for him hughes was caught for a million and um the two guys from rangers were were five and five why did why did that happen i think the, the rangers one he'd been quite open about from the start that we'd we'd mugged them a million pounds for the pair of them but the Hughes fee, I'd, I'd heard at the time it was a quarter of a million pounds. And I'd, I'd said that to a few people and everyone's like, no, it's a million pounds. But I, I think it had been reported it had been a quarter of a million. But everyone, maybe, I think maybe people were happier to see that it was a million pounds because it showed a bit more intent. And then as the season went on, Mick was then doing damage limitation for himself because he, mm. he he knew he was off from about... He was on I brand think, McCarthy, wasn't he? January, so he was having to show that these players that he bought in at the fees he's bought them in and the reality is 1.25 million for Waghorn Garner and Emir Hughes is amazing business it had Hughes stayed fit last year that you're talking three players that would have had a huge impact on the team and two don't, that for, did. don't forget Addy Amy as well I think mm-hmm. he got double figures for for Rotherham the season before he wasn't playing box to box he was quite quite an advanced Attacking midfield. Yeah, there. He, he scored was... the win against us, didn't he? At the towards the end of the season against our, our, our reserves. Yeah, yeah. And he'd, he'd always been a player that impressed me when I'd seen him, and so you see the size of him, and he's very mobile for his size, and that, that, that was one I was quite excited to see. And when he did play, he, he again played well, but he just picked up that illness on the pre-season tour that he, took him a while to shift, and then he just seemed to be injured from that point onwards with a hamstring, but. Right, so off we go. We're not going to go to Birmingham first, Joe, because I went to Greenwich the week before and okay. went to see Charlton Athletic versus Ipswich. And I went to see this wonderful guy called Flynn Downs that everyone had told me about. And I saw Ipswich come out and line up in a 4-4-2 in a friendly against Charlton with a pretty decent start in 11. I think I offer came off the bench, so he didn't start. And... It's six one. It's four nil at half time. Ipswich totally, totally um, collapse. Um, I think the rest of the friendlies had been quite good. I think, I think I remember Garner playing, but yeah, I think Garner scored six in five in pre-season. I'd, I'd been to I'd been to a couple of games. I went to Gillingham the week before where we'd lost where we'd lost two one, which wasn't a great result or performance. And then we played a bit better midweek. I think it was Colchester midweek we played, and well, it was only one nil and. It'd been a fair, fair, fair pre-season. Some decent results, some decent performances. Garner was a man with the goals. And then we went to Charlton and I'll let you sort of... Oh, my <laughs> God. Well, they, they lost the plot. And like I say, it was for... I mean, I remember a set play going in for the first goal. But the two... Um, Smith and Chambers looked well off it. And I hadn't seen Downs play at this point. But it looked like Skews and Downs in centre midfield, in the midfield four wasn't going to work either. At least Andre Dezel came on and scored. But a real horrible, horrible collapse, which kind of put it all back. So away goes Mick, and I pull up in the car park for the first game of the season. It's not programs nowadays. It's Twitter. At, everyone's on Twitter at 2 o'clock. And lo and behold, mind blown, because we've been hoping for three five two for a while. Um, and the first game of the season, he's going to go three five two. 5 Garner starting... Up front with Sears. I offered debut. Um, Dazelle starting. What were your thoughts um, on that first on that first team lineup going into the Birmingham game? I, I was surprised at how how much it changed from pre-season because, I, like, like you said, last year it seemed free at the back could suit us if we because we had to seem to have the personnel for it. And, but there just wasn't a hint of it throughout pre-season at all that that, that was the way we were going to go. And then when it came to it. That first first game of the season, I'd imagine the Charlton just meant back to the drawing board. Yeah, he screwed it, it up, didn't he, and just, it was just restarted. Back. And I, I, I was quite pleased to see it personally because, I, 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 like I say, we had Spence and Iorfa, and I think it was I think Spencer deserved to play, and Iorfa was a presumably a decent money signing that needed to come in and get some minutes as well. It allowed Andre Dezel to have that freer role in the midfield where he's going to struggle in the two in there, but it allowed him to get onto the ball and start playing or or that was a plan and that was how it how it played out for the first 45 minutes so I, I was pleased with it personally so you've already mentioned it and it must have been just on half time I think Dazelle went in for a 50-50 with I think it was Che Adams up one end of the pitch yeah. and then 
a minute or two later, there's a corner up the other end, and he obviously did the damage on the first one. And um, what happened, Joe? Yeah, well, he'd had a bit of treatment on on the first challenge, sort of towards the halfway line, and it was, I think it was just a corner that got cleared. And as he turned to chase the ball, he just went down in a heap, and there was there was no one really around him, and and then there was a, a lot of treatment, and he went off, and you could tell it was a hugely serious injury from sort of from the second it happened because he was on the stretcher there was there was no one around him when it happened and those things generally tend to mean ligaments and when it's your knee your knee ligaments is is serious and it was it was such a shame because he'd, he'd gone away to the Euros in the summer he'd been a part of the England team that won the Euros playing a year a year above himself he's still eligible to play in it this summer if he wanted to and he'd come back flying and I think he took a little while to get into the game but by that point, everything was starting to go through him. He was get, he was picking up the ball from the defenders, which is something we haven't seen any midfielder do under Mick. And he was obviously given that license to do that and was getting it going. And then from that point on, we, we didn't really see a midfielder do that again until sort of the last four or five games of the season this year. Absolutely. And I don't know if it's too fanciful a comparison. The one I've kept using on the pod is you saw the improvement Madison made for... Norwich through the season and my hope was I'm not saying that the end point would be the same with Dezel and Madison but immediately you lose that kind of blue chip young player but Flynn Downs comes in and plays very well in the second half <coughs> and um, we get the winner I, I don't remember um, I think it was reasonably late in the game wasn't it um, Garner gets the <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it was long after half-time. I can't remember. So, Garner gets the winner from uh, Nudsen cross. And this is a feature of the, we'll find out, um, Nudsen assists. But, all in all, a, a pretty good start against the kind of Birmingham team that had pinched a couple of, excuse me, pinched a couple of Brentford. Oh, no, they hadn't pinched them yet. But, you know, we thought... They brought in a lot of players. Harry Redknapp was going to... They, they got the guy, Roberts, from... Barnsley for like three million as well, hadn't they? Yeah. And spent a fair bit. So all in all, I think a good start. Would you agree? Yeah, and I think it was important that we did get a good start across those first few games because when you looked at the fixture list, we were starting with like Birmingham, Barnsley, Millwall, and it's like we needed to pick up points from those games. So to, to get that win on the first day of the season was was really key and really important. So off we go to Luton, which McCarthy described as the hardest game of the season. The um, League Cup game after the first game and we got a vague idea of how he might use McGoldrick this season that he might drip him in and out we got the first look at Burson Selina as well and um, we're all been told he's a winger and he starts down the middle with McGoldrick but in between those two days um, another sign in and, and Waghorn had come in as well did you know anything about Waghorn when he signed only sort of his what he'd done at Sunderland and Reading or Leicester sorry I, I knew he wasn't a, well I thought he wasn't a particularly a goal scorer I knew he was a hard worker and sort of had a, had a good left foot on him but and harried defenders everywhere but I didn't think his goal scoring record was that good and he'd, he'd obviously had a really good record at Rangers but a lot of that was in the it's championship up in Scotland yeah. where Rangers are expected to steamroll everyone every week so it, it's hard to gauge gauge from that but I, I was pleased with the signing and I, I, I thought as a fourth strike he really did complement what we had well but it was I was still worried where the goals were going to come from because Garner, McGoldrick and Sears none of those were sort of real goal scorers No um, so we wait about 20 minutes of the Luton game Selena doesn't touch the ball and then all of a sudden we see this ridiculous acceleration and you're like oh okay have we got another Tom Lawrence here it's a brilliant assist for McGoldrick um, and then McGoldrick gets the second goal um, Waghorn makes his debut actually plays behind the front two when he comes on but just before half time the first I mean we had Dezel go in the first game Adam Webster gets um, yeah. injured as well so a few things to talk about there talk to me about um, how you saw McGoldrick being used at this stage um, Selena possibilities and just the start of this ridiculous injury run. Well, with Goldrick, I just 
he just looked like he was sort of bang on form straight away there. He hadn't started against Birmingham on the first day, but like I say, he had two chances against Luton and took them both really well. He looked, he looked sharp, he looked ready, and it's like there, there just had to be a way to get him into the team effectively at that point because he's too good to leave on the bench. Um, sorry, what was it? The other question um, was Selena. Selena, yeah. Um, Selena, I'd, just, I'd like the look of him. I'd seen him at Gillingham and he just looked so fast and so direct and a player like that, he... It was always going to have good games and bad games, but when they, when they can win games and score goals out of nothing, you really need to try and find a place for them in the team, like Tom Lawrence had done the season before. Yes, he might not always do the right things defensively. Yes, he might frustrate you, but also when he can put the ball into the sort of top corner from 25 yards or go on a run and take four defenders out in one, in one move, then you need, to, you need to find a way to get that player into the team, which Mick did at times and subsequently didn't after after that but it took him a long while to get going on that injuries Webster's was a was a fairly poor challenge that was right in front of the away end he, he got caught late there and I think what that said about the injuries wasn't wasn't so much we're going to get a lot of injuries it was Webster oh he's injured and he'll be back after the international break the international break comes around and then all of a sudden the injuries change from sort of out for two and a half weeks to oh he's out for another eight weeks from here and that, that just seemed to that just seems to be the story of, or it has been for the last maybe two or three seasons of all our injuries. Every time somebody's nearly back, they're then they're then off for another six weeks. The only person that hasn't affected is Luke Chambers, who seems to be the <laughs> yeah, bionic he's, man. He's, he's not a, not a normal weeks, human, is he? Yeah, back in two. Sort of back in the team. But we um, had it even this year with Hyam, Addy Amy. They were both playing for the reserves in September, but it took them a long while to actually get, to get fit enough to play. The, those who... Um... We know we're not going to go over the whole McCarthy saga again, but for those who criticise his cautiousness—if that's a word—caution, over caution—does um, that the Selena and Tom Lawrence thing? Does that kind of sum McCarthy up a little bit? Whereby the only way he trusted them in a team was they had to be up front, away from wide positions where they had to do any defence. It looked like he judged Selena based on Lawrence the season before, where he figured out that, oh, hang on a minute, this really fast guy with a really hard shot, if I stick him up front, he <laughs> scores loads of loads of goals. Um, do, do you, do you, is there anything in that? Well, there, was a num- there was a number of games where Selena sort of got the hook sort of before, maybe he deserved it, and there was other players, and it's Mick was always of the line, oh, he's, he was doing us more damage than he was doing them, so... <laughs> It's like he's he soon found out if it wasn't his day, if there was a couple of passes going astray in, in his own half. And I don't know, the the start the style we played under Mick was very, very direct, very percentage football. And if you've got the ball in the left back area, all Mick wants the ball to be from there is as far away from his goal as possible. Not not pass inside to try and get the ball back to, tr- to try and actually attack from there. It's to try and get a throw in down the other end or box him back and then, and then work from there. So... It must be difficult for Selena, who's sort of playing for a parent club who have 70% of the possession and you, there's no way you'd hoof the ball at Man City. You'd probably get sort of your contract ripped up if you boot <laughs> playing for a pep team where it's, it's the opposite here. But I'm sure, I'm sure he learned a lot from the, from the loan spell, but I'm, I'm not sure that Mick got the best out of him generally. Very good, very good. Off we go to Barnsley. Um, Barnsley are going to play old school 4-4-2. Ipswich stick with the 3-5-2, but um, McGoldrick and Waghorn both stay on the bench and it's Sears and Garner up front. <coughs> um, Barnsley are start really well and are absolutely all over us. Um, we get into half-time 1-0 down. Um, Kenlock, Nydam and Downs all started this game, but Kenlock and Nydam both get the hook at half-time. And I think this is one of those games where we criticise him for his football, we criticise him for a lack of philosophy, but there were certain times in-game where McCarthy won the game just purely by his by his clever management. So and all of a sudden we stumble across this ridiculous 4-4-2 system where we basically are going to play four forwards. Um, so... The young guys come out at half-time, Kenlock and Nydam. On come McGoldrick and Waghorn. So, Waghorn plays on the right of midfield. Sears plays on the left of midfield. And McGoldrick goes up front 
um, with Ghana. And Joe, what the hell happens in the second half? Well, the two substitutes come on, score the goals. Mick looks like a genius and that day he probably was one. To be fair, that was brilliant. To be fair mm. to him, yeah, that was brilliant. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, well, I, I always think Mick wants to get his best 11 players on the pitch and for them to work it out. And on, on a day like that, you can you can see why he does that. When when Nydam and Kenlock are struggling, Kenlock was particularly getting badly overrun d- down his side in the first half. You bring on the Goldrick, you bring on Waghorn, two two quality players for the two in, inexperienced kids. And from that point on, we just looked like we were going to score every time we went forward at that point. And... Waghorn took his goal excellently and that was a oh. sort of sign of things to come really from him. And the first sign of his directness, I, I was in the, I, I would get loads of stick for this, I was in the Barnsley stand on the halfway line as usual. Um, and as soon as Garner got the ball, all Waghorn did, it wasn't clever, he literally just sprinted at the mm. goal. Garner played it ahead of him, he took one touch and smashed it in and I'm like, oh, okay. Reminded me of Martin Royster, almost just no backlift, just takes a shot so early that the keeper, the ball sort of passed him before the keeper set his feet. Right in the corner as well. So, yeah. So, great comeback. And all of a sudden, Joe, you've won You've won two away games and your opening game. Um, we didn't lose any players then, but we're still... Well, just before that game, Tommy Smith was, ruled, was injured between Luton and that game and he was out for another eight weeks at that point. So. Oh, OK. I hadn't got that one down, yeah. Um so, off we go to Millwall for one of the games of the season. This is another midweek one, Saturday, Tuesday. Um, we stick with the ridiculous 4-4-2 with four forwards on. Um, and they all start this time. So, McGoldrick and Garner are up front. Sears is in. Uh, Waghorn starts. Ward starts as well. So, massively attacking team. Um it's, uh, there's too much to say. It's 2-2 at half-time. I think Millwall score after one minute. Then Ward sets up... No, Garner scores a... Sh- the Millwall goalkeeper was rubbish all season, wasn't he? Garner yeah. puts one through um, Archer's hands. Then Millwall score again. Then Waghorn scores. Then McGoldrick does one of the best assists I've ever seen, where he takes it around the goalkeeper with about one yard of space, squares it to Waghorn. Then... We're hanging on for the entire second half. They bring Tom Elliott on, who's about six foot nine, and score. Then we break away. Um, free kick curled in for um, Spence, who heads in in the 88th minute. Um, the other thing as well is Chambers injures himself after you've already mentioned after about 20 minutes, and then plays on injured for the for the whole <laughs> game. Complete basket case of a match. What what were your what were your memories of that one? That was a game that was just almost impossible to watch. Um, it was just every, every time we went forward, we scored. I think we, that was one, at this at this point in the season, we'd scored nearly every shot on target we'd had. And yeah, right. We were we were getting lucky, but none of the goals were outrageous goals. The only one that was like like Sam was Garner's first, which was poor goalkeeping from sort of twenty five thirty yards. He hit that, and it was a s- simple save, but. We just seem to be flooding the flooding their box with with numbers and actually scoring goals from it, and that that is something that then sort of didn't happen for the rest of the season. We didn't we didn't get midfielders forward. I think you summed it up though. It wasn't by design. It was him just putting his best eleven players on the pitch, and obviously Sears and Waghorn just had an instinct to just get in the box, didn't they? Yeah, and and Waghorn everything he touched went in, went in for the first sort of two months of the season. Absolutely. So, amazing win there. Um, we've now lost Chambers, though, as well. So, we go into the um, Brentford game. Um, I think you pointed this out to me when we chatted on the phone the other day. Brentford had started really appallingly badly, and typical Brentford had had 80% possession in every game and lost all of them. So, we're going into this Brentford game with basically no centre-backs. And I can't remember, I think the back four was... There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss 
Blue Monday are delighted to be partnered with TalkSport Fan Network and NordVPN, giving you the best possible offering for browsing the internet securely. NordVPN opens up global streaming options for content not available in your region by switching your virtual location quicker than Wesburn's running down the wing. NordVPN acts like your cyber Sam Morsey whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like passwords and credit card details from falling into the wrong hands. For about the price of an ITFC match program a month or a Blue Monday Telegram subscription, you can get yourself a NordVPN account which can be used across six different devices. If you need to rapidly change direction like Amari Hutchinson, there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Blue Monday or click the link in the podcast or YouTube subscription to be taken straight there, supporting us here at Blue Monday in the process. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like home comforts. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home advantage with Mook Delivery. You win. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Kenlock, Spence, Nudson and I offer. Yeah, um, I think it was. And again, very much like the Barnsley game, you have to say on this one, this is brilliant by Mick again, because the whole plan was really narrow and really deep and hope they just play in, in front of us. And um, what, were you, what were your memories of this one? Well, as you said, hope that they'd play in front of us. And they did. They, they didn't really... Test bar. I think they hit the bar in in the first half, but yeah, the South uh, African guy hit the bar, didn't he? Yeah, that's all I could remember. But that looked like a shot that was going over. That all of a sudden, oh, it hit the bar. I, I didn't expect it to go in at any point when he hit it. And then Waghorn scored a strange goal where everyone seemed to fall asleep. But because I think oh, they thought it was yeah, and it yeah, just, yeah. It just, I think that people were appealing for a foul, and all of a sudden it was with Waghorn on the edge of the six-yard box, and he rolled it in, and then. As Brentford started to look to get back into it after the second half, Garner scored the first goal line decision. Oh, the watch! Yeah, I'd I'd wonder how many how many of those goals we've missed over the years because it didn't look in from anywhere in the ground, and the the ref held his watch up and everyone celebrated. And at that point, it was game over. Brentford didn't look like getting back into it, and we just held them at bay. And we were four wins out of four in the league and top top of the league or second in the league at that point. And Everything was looking rosy. And you're looking at it from McCarthy's point of view. First game against Birmingham, he's gone three at the back and won. Second game against Luton, he switched around all the players and won. Third game against Barnsley, he's changed everything at half-time and come back to win. Then against Millwall, he's gone with this ridiculous four forwards, two of them playing in midfield and won. And then a quite different um, approach, you know, just saying... Look, everybody tuck in, go narrow, go deep, and it's worked an absolute charm. Everything management-wise he was doing as well was was working out, wasn't it? And 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 that was without any centre backs with sort of injuries in the midfield. We at one, at one point in that month, I think we had seven or eight players, like genuine first teamers, out injured. In that we had Chambers, Webster, Smith, Addy, Amy, Dazelle, Hughes. So all the, all those players were out, and and we we didn't look troubled almost in. in towards the end of the month. So off we go to Crystal Palace away with, as you say, no players. And we get the the youngest team in the, in the history of world football ever. I can't, <laughs> can't remember all the names. You're probably better at this with your knowledge of the youth team. But I just remember walking up the hill to go into the ground and hearing the announcer going, Van Arnholt, Kabai, McCarthy, um, and like thinking if this is less than 5-0 this is a mm. this is a great result given I'd seen our team but um, they were really good um, so Gherkin is kind of a captain in goal and Downs and uh, Nyden played left back yeah um, Nyden was left back and Downs um, was proper strutting around alpha male in in that <laughs> team um took Palace 76 minutes to score and I think MacArthur is MacArthur was it MacArthur or McCarthy? MacArthur. Um I think he's a 15 million pound player, right? Playing against mm. all these guys who've never played a pro game ever. You had Wolfenden against Andros Townsend who was an England winger. Yeah, he came off the bench, hadn't he? Townsend at, at one point. Um takes Palace 76 minutes to score and in the end um Morris slides one across for 
Selena to put in. Um, I was I was really proud of them after that one. What did you think? Again, that was another one where we, we, we may not have won that game as we had the previous five or, or yeah, five games it was at that point, but everyone walked away from that game feeling positive because we hadn't just rotated a few players. We had sat the whole squad down. The only I think the only player of any senior or proper senior experience was Gherkin, Danny Rowe and Bursan Salina. Rowe played. played, didn't he? Yeah. It, it, was, it was the team you'd expect if we had an under-23 game that day, the team that would have played. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, I was pleased to see a proper rotation because sometimes it annoys me when a manager rotates and then they end up sort of taking the same players there. So they've still got to warm up. They've still got to be ready to go. And it's like, well, you haven't really given these players a rest. If you're going to give them a rest, give them a rest, actually properly do it. So I was, I was pleased with, with how it went and to hold that Crystal Palace side to nil-nil for 70-odd minutes was an incredible achievement from the, from the boys. I know Gherkin did have to make a couple of good saves, but... That is what your goalie is there for, ultimately, and did that. And it was nice when it was 2-0, just to, just to get a goal back as well, because that would, have, that would have given them confidence as well. And at that point, the under-23s were flying in the league. They'd, they'd won their first four or five games, and, and it, it just seemed everything about the club was was buzzing. We we only had, I'd say, we, we had all these injuries, but yet we were, we were top of the league. We'd put in a great performance in the League Cup, and it was sort of, where do we go from here? But ultimately, that was the probably, at that point, from that point onwards, the season went went from there, effectively. Well, next up at Portman Road were everybody's favourite possession machine, Fulham. So Mick decides um, that the international break's coming up and he's going to do exactly what he did against Brentford, against Fulham, play narrow and deep. Obviously forgetting that Fulham have the best deep-lying playmaker in the league and the best attacking fullbacks in the league. And... Um, Okay, we're top of the league and we've won a lot of games, but this was quite uncomfortable. This Fulham game, wasn't it? I think Mick just gave all the senior players another game's rest because we didn't really turn up. <laughs> it was we, we basically just it, it felt like we just waved the white flag there. We we thought they were too good for us, so we acted like they were too good for us, and we just we just sat back, let them play all game, and it was two nil. But it, we could have been playing for a year and not scored. It was one of those games. We just didn't. We just didn't even. It just didn't look like we even tried in that game. We just, that, admittedly, Fulham, as their promotion proved, are, were probably the best team in the league. I, I thought on their day, and we were unlucky that Kearney was fit that day because he didn't seem to play much at that point in the season. He came in for that game. His first and, game. Yeah, and, and ran the show again. Hundred and fifteen passes, I think. Yeah, but we we just didn't we just didn't get close to him. It, it was like we 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 just allowed them to do what they, exactly what they wanted to do, and they they did it well and. That, that, that was that was frustrating that day because they they hadn't started the season that well they were I think they were in the bottom half at that point we we were we'd won all our games and, that was their first win Joe I think yeah and I say we we could have I say we, we might have gone for them and lost four or five nil I, I don't I don't know but when when you're top of the league when you've won all your games when you're at home it's a it was a nice sunny day and a decent crowd there you expect to have a go at them not just to totally concede the game within from the first minute. So I think McCarthy had built himself up some some credit with the other wins and most people let that one go. But as you said, maybe a sign of some nasty things to come. So we go to the international break and Callum Connolly comes in on loan from Everton and we're told he's a fullback who can play um, either side. Off we go to QPR... And again, we're getting negative now. I thought we were really bad against QPR. I thought we'd imprinted ourselves on a lot of the games so far. And QPR put three in midfield, Freeman, Luongo and Scoen, completely overran us. They had a nice balance in their in their midfield. And um, it's a pretty basic championship game where the team that work harder won basically um and you now started to get the fans versus mick starting over again because selena's off on the bench everyone chants for selena on he comes and scores the first of well we did our goal of the season video and it was basically just all selena but this i mean talk talk a bit about 
but this is not Fulham. This is QPR, isn't it? They're yeah. And nowhere. Talk a bit about this game and a bit about the fans and Selena and using Selena as a a bit of a political weapon both ways. Well, it was. It was, it was just another game that I didn't, I didn't feel we turned up for. The same as the Fulham game, we, we didn't turn up for this one. And with the sort of the crowd versus Mick McCarthy, as, as it became during the season, I always feel the London away games are, sorry, the London away games are a barometer of the fans. When, that when was a big are, one. Sorry to interrupt you. That was a big one last year when he brought Douglas on instead of Dizelle, Dizelle. when we were level as well. Go, go ahead, sorry. And when, when we're in the playoff season... We, we went to all these London away games. We, we won them all. We had four or 5,000 fans at Fulham and four, same at Watford. And the London, the London away games bring out a different type of fan. They bring out the maybe the more hysterical, but the ones that, have, that create a better atmosphere when you're winning and a worse atmosphere when you're losing. And after we'd had the good start to the season, we were gone and it's like, were these games to fluke beforehand or was Fulham and was Fulham as it was going to be for the rest of the season where we're going to struggle? And we went there we, we barely had a shot in the game. Selena, we'd, we'd seen, is someone that could can make something happen. And he just sat on the bench for 18 minutes. And then when he came on, he did score. And you had the same question again. Well, why, why did he come on so late? Because we needed to get back into the game. And we, we weren't getting back into the game. Nothing was happening. And he came on and skipped past a few players, scores a goal. And you think, well, oh, had, had he done that with 10 minutes left, we, we might have made a decent finish of this. So... We go on and we get a little bit of respite now because it's Bolton. Um, Bolton had had a horrible start because their transfer embargo hadn't ended. They were injury ravaged and they hadn't got a single point. So Bolton to come to uh, Portman Road, back to 3-5-2 and thankfully Chambers comes back. Connolly goes in at wing back. Um, Tom Adiemi makes his first start so a lot happens here and as rare as hen's teeth a Cole Skews goal a David McGoldrick winner late on I remember the first half being one of those awful that we had under McCarthy ones where I'm just like yelling at the pitch just saying anyone do four three passes one pass to a to a blue shirt and I'll be happy um Talk to me about any of those things, Joe. Bolton at home, 2-0. It's a, it's a diff- this was a difficult game because you can't you can't win in this game. You have to beat Bolton. There's, they're, they're bottom of the league. They didn't have a point at the point. And you, you have you have to beat them. And we and we did beat them. We, we made hard work of the first half. But then Skew scored the goal and they didn't look like getting back into it. And then I think it was a very late goal from Goldrick to finalise it. But, but it was one of those games that which Portman Road has seen a lot over the last two or three years, which was just instantly forgettable. We, 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 did, we did a professional job and we got the points, but it was, it was not one for the neutrals. I, I think I just pulled out a quote from Mick on this one. There was only 14,164 at the game, which is one of the sort of, at the end of the season, that had been a decent attendance, but at this point it was a, it was a worry. But he, he came out after the game, went quiz on it, saying, I can't make people go to the games. I can only try to affect the results. And... I, th- I think he had a view that if we were to start winning games, the fans would come back. The only thing he could do to get the fans back was to start winning games. And we were winning games. We were up in the top six, and yet the fans still weren't coming back. So at this point, it seemed like the penny was dropping with with Mick. I think Cole Skews came out and said something later on as well about, we hope the fans will come back if we keep winning games. But it... At that point, it was obvious that it was too far gone with Mick for the, for the fans, unless we were to be in the top six at the very end of the season. That's a very, very interesting um, day to kind of point out for all the reasons that you've just said. Um, bit of a watershed. Away you go to Leeds. So Leeds are, at this point, top of the league. Um, I think there was 34,000 there that day. And I have to say it, I know I'm an Ipswich fan. Ipswich were excellent away Mm. at Leeds. And again, it's one of those moments where Mick didn't double down on passing football because he starts off with a 4-4-2 and you've got Ward, Adiemi and Nydam all playing in midfield with McGoldrick 
you know, as he naturally does, comes back into the 10 position. Mm. And they pass the ball beautifully. And I can make a litany of excuses. Um, Leeds scored with their first chance. Then Ipswich went on top. We're on top for 10 minutes. McGoldrick scored. And then Leeds scored straight straight away, straight from the centre, mm. I think one minute apart. And then... Um, our wonderful goalkeeper, who I love, but is not beyond criticism, literally throws one over his old line as McCarthy has got Waghorn and Selina lined up to come on. He's about to make his attacking move. It goes 2-1. Ipswich are on top for the for the rest of the game and, and Garner scores. And of all the away games I saw, Joe, they they were excellent. They really... And Addy Amy looked... Ward looked great stretching them down the... Down the right-hand side, they passed the ball, they scored goals, but what are your thoughts? And I think at, at this point, Leeds were right up in the top six as well, wasn't it? But so I think it they was, went top that day. They went top that day, I yeah. I think they it did, was, yeah. A tough place to go in a, a big crowd. We had a, we had a young team. So Tristan Nyden was still 17 at the time, playing in front of 30-odd thousand fans. Didn't seem to phase him. And like you said, we played well. We we passed it well. There was some good football. We, we created chances. And I think that that's all the fans have been crying out for at that point. And every, everyone was really positive after that day, d- despite the result. I think sometimes just scoring two goals is a is a good thing, even even if you lose. If you score two goals, more often than not, you won't lose. No, absolutely. And I, th- I think it just it just bugged me that I mean, well, we'll talk about the next game, but you didn't see that intent a lot for the rest of the season. But nonetheless, I thought really good performance at least, and I think a few things conspired against them there's plenty of times where we lose well I'll where I'll say no we we deserve we deserve to to lose but that that wasn't one of them um one thing I did think happened that day is um McCarthy got taught about 4-2-3-1 because we hadn't seen it yet and Leeds had lined up with Alioski and Saez and Hernandez all behind Lasoga so we get to this Sunderland game which is basically one of the most exciting nights of the season and Mick's got a new a new game to play with he's going to try and do a 4-2-3-1 because he's just been beaten by it basically so um, a lot of us had kind of said well hang on a minute why don't you just stick Garner up front and play that row of three behind him so all of a sudden you get McGoldrick was off to the left Wacom was off to the right and Selena in the hole where he can like you said do the least damage to us behind the front but the two in midfield were Skews and Eddie Amy. So you've got a box-to-box guy and a bit of movement around Skews, mm. which um, obviously the famous Scuggles was, um, yeah, not <laughs> not in that. Yeah, okay, enough said. Um, but tell me, were Sunderland terrible? Um, were Ipswich good? Um, I've got down that... Um, this was the best performance by by Waghorn by an Ipswich player all all season in that game. And did you not come away from that game thinking, okay, screw it, play four two three one, put all of those four guys on the pitch. You might lose three one some weeks, but they're they're all on there, and they all uh, Waghorn scores, Selena scores, McGoldrick scores. Uh, Waghorn gets basically three assists, McGoldrick gets one, Garner gets one. Um, Tell me about Sunderland at home. It was, it was a brilliant game. It was probably the most enjoyable home game of the season where we just looked like we were going to score goals every time we went forward. We, we weren't. I don't know. It, it seems like too often we were worried more about what we did when we didn't have the ball than when we did have the ball. Where this one, it was just a case. We, we were going to attack. We were going to go forwards. The, the three you mentioned behind Garner were interchanging and swapping positions. And they were sort of they were doing exactly what they wanted to do, but were also really disciplined as well. When one went, the other went across. They, they, they really played well as a free, and there seemed to be a real understanding between them. Garner had one of those games where he was bullying the defender the whole way through. And while Sunderland, I think the second half, they were poor. They'd, they'd lost the plot by that point. And while they did score one brilliant goal back, there was a few sort of, there's a bit of comedy of errors in the midfield leading to some of our chances. But at that point, we'd, we'd blown them away by that point. They, they were gone. And the first half was sort of the first half like we haven't seen, especially especially at home. We, we I sit in the south stand and you don't score many goals. We don't score many goals down that end of the pitch because we don't score many goals in the first half. And 
I think at one point there was probably 10 or 12 games where we didn't score in, down down in that goal where this one we scored the three first half goals and or, or the two first half goals and we and like I say they were just excellent Waghorn I think what cost us the formation going forward was that Waghorn wasn't disciplined enough on that right hand side so McGoldrick went across there and then McGoldrick while still playing well wasn't able to do the damage so by by compensating what we had we ended up sort of going away from it mm. and we're going to find out more of what cost us that formation so this is the last game we're going to deal with so it's bristol city at home and this was just like the come down of all come downs wasn't it so you think you've just found a new system you've got all the guys on the pitch waghorn seems to have waved his flag and said look i'm i'm mr first teamer here i need to i need to play you've you thrashed sunderland here you go bristol city at home um we'd had a good laugh at bristol city last the season before had gone like months with only winning one game and nearly nearly got relegated right up until the end and this i've written down here this always seemed to happen under mccarthy when you think you found a system something bad happens and he mm. he goes no no we're we're changing it and we're you know we're gonna seem like we didn't really ever ever stick with anything for that long and Again, I sound like I'm making excuses. It was a bit of a perfect storm because they score a deflected goal after two minutes. They were, they were very. I've also written down they were one of the most surprising teams I saw because they were way better than I expected them to be. They're two 0 up. Um, I think Waghorn gets one back before half time, and then a breakaway goal at the end. Um, Talk to me about, I mean, you already mentioned it, the ditching of the system and the Tom Amy mystery begins because he's warming up before the game and then he disappears. Um, is that? Did he actually come back after that one? Yeah, he played the Norwich game after that. Oh, okay. I, think that was, I think he played one more game after that. So I said, where, we, where I sit, I have a team sheet brought around to me. And so Tom Amy is on the team sheet and then... Maybe like 20 minutes later, there's word that Addy Amy isn't playing. Nidham's now playing because he's injured himself in the warm-up. And after the game, it's just oh, it's just a little tweak on his hamstring. And he's, he'll be back sort of the week after, and he is. But then you don't see him again. Tristan Nidham comes into the team, and within two minutes, the ball smacks him in the face, and it's in the back of our net. And while I think Nidham went on to play well that day, he isn't Addy Amy, and he doesn't have the physicality in the midfield to play in that system. And... Again, what you're saying with Mick about going away from systems, it seems that if we have if we have good luck with us, that doesn't affect his thinking with regards to the system. We have a bit of bad luck against us, and the system the system goes out the window because, like I say, he, he came out after the game saying that two of the goals were hugely lucky because they were. The first goal was a huge deflection, and the third goal was a huge deflection. The linesman put his flag up for offside, but that was ruled off because the ball had actually hit Knudsen rather than their player. And it was just two incredibly lucky goals, which, which cost us against a side that at that point were flying. And from that point, we, we effectively battened down the hatchets at, at that point. Um, sort of looking at some of the stats at that point, I did make some notes on this. At that point, at the end of that game, we were eighth with 18 points from 10 games with a game in hand on everyone around us which we did subsequently win that game in hand at Derby, which would have taken us to third at that point after 11 games. We'd scored 20 goals in 10 games. And then over the rest of the season, we scored 37 in 36. So that was really the the end of the free-flowing football. We, we lost the next two, 1-0, sort of spoiler alert for the second part of the season. We, we well, lost the next three five, two. Well, it's 3-5-2 at Sheffield United. It's 4-2-3-1, two games, 5-2 win, one defeat. and Yeah, in. Well, it, it, there was always an element of trying to match up with what the opposition were playing. Chris Wilder, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, they played three-five-two, so we go there and try and beat them at their beat them at their own game. But that they've scored a hundred points doing in League One the previous season, yeah. And, and let's say we you lose to a good team who are in form, who got a bit of luck, and all of a sudden it's oh well, this isn't working. Where I, I never, I could, I could never tell you what formation. Even throughout those first 10 games where we had some brilliant results, we must have played seven different formations. And I can never tell you which one was the preferred formation at any point. It was. I, I think therein lies the lies the whole 
the whole problem. I'm lucky that I've got about eight notepads down there with all the formations drawn out in because I'm an absolute, I'm an absolute no. But you're totally right. There in those first, we've done 12 games. If you discount the two League Cup games because they're an outlier, aren't they? You have a 3-5-2 to start with, then a 3-5-2 in the next game. Then you go to this crazy 4-4-2. Then you go to a different type of 4-4-2 when you've got no centre backs. Then you go to a 4-2-3-1 for two games and then you go back to a 3-5-2 it seemed and I've said this before that the previous manager thought it was more about him and what he was going to tweak during the game than any overarching philosophy that was going to go through 46 games yeah yeah no I'd, I'd agree with that and we, ju- we just never settled into anything we were always like, stop trying to stop the opposition first and then win it from there. I think the perfect Mick McCarthy game is nil-nil after an hour. We out we outrun the opposition, then we score two goals in the last half hour. And he's the man of the match. McCarthy's the man of the match, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not too sure on that side. I, I don't think he's too worried on on that side. I just think he he tries to stop them stopping them first is is a number one point. And if that means you draw nil-nil, then you draw nil-nil. But hopefully it means you you get the win, but there were a lot of times when the changes were too late to to try and get the win, where he waited until the 80th minute to get it. So to anyone who's listening and thinking, what are you two guys on about? This was the best part of the season. We we won, I think, seven games in this, and if you include the League Cup game, eight games out of the 12. But you can see from what we're saying, in a kind of scattergun kind of way, yeah? Yeah, well, there was... It's, it's difficult to look back at, the, at those games without the knowledge of what happened af- after those games and what had, what had gone before them. If you, it's hard to look at them in isolation. But there was all the all the talk. I'm not a huge fan of the expected goals model and and those things because I, I don't think they take into account sort of parts about how the actual game is played. If you're winning one nil, you, you're not trying to score a second a lot of the time. Where when when you looked at those, we were bottom of the league on expected goals, but top of it without it, and we'd Waghorn, everything he touched had gone in. Garner had scored a lot of goals. We'd, I think, away from home, we had every shot on target we'd had had gone in for the first five games of the season. And while I, do, I don't think expected goals is the greatest model, it also, I say, it, it does show that you're not you're not going to keep up that, that scoring rate. What, whatever model you're looking at, you you aren't going to keep scoring every shot you have. That's, that's that's an outlier. And I think it was quite obvious that we were outperforming where we should be, and that as soon as the sort of averages went back to what they should be. We weren't, we weren't going to be scoring as many goals as we had been with the amount of chances we were creating. And we'd only reached eighth place, like you said, with with that in mind. So maybe the maybe the ultimate twelfth place finish was um was expected. Right. Um, let's call that quits there, Joe. So um, the plan here is with these podcasts. Um, I don't know when they'll all come out, but we're going to do the next twelve games. I can't remember whether it's Mikey or Statman making his on-screen um, debut. But, um, Joe, we're going to see you on the podcast more next season. Yep. I'm here and waiting whenever you need me. He's here and waiting. So, um, please, everybody, where can we find you on Twitter? What's your handle, Joe? Uh, just at Joe Fares. So, um, go and follow Joe on Twitter because he's going to be joining the joining the podcast team um next season look out for the next um three installments of these i don't quite know we're we're a little bit all over the place we'll try and get them done before the world cup starts but it's going to be four parts and then for those of you who loved the segment we'll try and do it with everybody the um player grades for the season they always cause lots of nice arguments which is especially when david mcgoldrick's concerned with david <laughs> david statman tending to give him an, an a star whatever happens but we'll see what we'll see what they come up with this season um so joe thank you um so much for coming on and um blue monday watchers and listeners give joe plenty of love because you're going to see him plenty of times next season um and um normal plugs at blue monday itfc on twitter um oh, this will be up on the youtube facebook.com do da do and the next one should be out i would think by the end of the week that's a that's a cross um joe impart some words of wisdom and say goodbye for us and see you later everyone and look forward to a new season absolutely um and thank you for watching and we'll see you very soon
It's the promotion running. Everyone is gathered round to watch. The McNuggets share boxes are there offering much needed distraction. Your mate's already been booked for double dipping, but in you swoop to steal the last nuggets and claim all three points. Oh, and there is the Harry Clark fist pump to celebrate. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in at participating restaurants. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.